This is the Consumed Podcast, featuring conversations with the eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers of California's Central Coast. I'm a food writer and your host, Jamie Lewis. Before we get to the guest, I want to tell you about an event I'm hosting in collaboration with At Her Table, a food festival that celebrates women. The live event is called Apron Strings, a conversation about motherhood and the hospitality industry. And it's happening Tuesday, March 7th from 6 to 8 p.m. at There Does Not Exist Brewing in San Luis Obispo. In this live podcast recording, I'll speak with four mothers who own restaurants, Fabian Tefera of Ebony Slow, Brittany Gonzalez of Central Coast Tacos, Shani Covey of Luna Red and Robin's Restaurant, and Sam Whitaker of Bing's Bao Buns. And we want you in the audience. Admission is free, but you need to RSVP to claim your seat. Head to letsgetconsumed.com slash events for more info and a link to that RSVP. Thanks. I also want to give a shout out to some of the Consumed Podcast sponsors. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, Cargo Storage Containers, and Refrigerated Shipping Containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is, Many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use MidState for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods, for private collections, and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. MidState Containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root sellers. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her mid-state container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a mid-state container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote. Midstatecontainers.com The Consume Podcast is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine, a bi-monthly publication that celebrates the spirit of San Luis Obispo. I've been writing for Slow Life's food column since 2015, and I've covered a whole lot of restaurants and eaten a whole lot of dishes in that time. Standouts include the fries at Beta's Beer Garden, the carnitas at Taqueria Santa Cruz, the bao at Mihang Lo, and the burgers at Flavor Factory. For the next issue, I'm writing about French bistro cuisine at Blue Moon over Avila and executive chef Jose Dahan. I won't spoil the surprise, but if you're a francophile, you're going to want to read that article. Look for Slow Life Magazine in your mailbox every other month or get yourself a subscription at slowlifemagazine.com. Do you want to be more intentional about the meat you eat and feed your family? Have you even considered giving up eating meat entirely because you can no longer justify supporting the inhumane and industrialized system that brings meat to your dinner table? If you're looking for a simple way to guarantee you always have access to healthy, sustainably farmed meat and wild seafood, the Larder Meat Co. is here to help. Since 2016, Larder Meat Co. has been delivering farm-raised beef, pork, chicken, lamb, and wild seafood sourced from right here in the Golden State to customers who demand the highest quality proteins as well as intentional sourcing standards and transparency. A convenient club box from Larder Meat Co. makes it easy to automate the most important part of your monthly food budget. You can build a custom box or choose from one of the many curated bundles that LMC offers. As a Larder Meat Co. customer, you are supporting the ever-dwindling ranching industry that has fed us for generations, and you're building a sustainable future for your family, our ranchers, and the planet. Use code CONSUMED at checkout to save $25 on your first subscription and check healthy farm-raised meat and wild seafood off your grocery list for good. That's lardermeatco.com, promo code CONSUMED for $25 off your first subscription. Okay, on to the episode. Kirsten Sherritt owns The Secret Garden in San Luis Obispo, a shop that specializes in tea, herbs, and spices. I've known Kirsten for a while just through the grapevine of life in slow, and I've watched her grow what was a tiny little back patio business into a thriving community. The shop overlooks San Luis Creek with jars of all kinds of raw botanicals, bark, leaves, petals, buds, rinds, and spices. 
with decades of experience in how to use these ingredients. She creates bespoke blends for people who come in, or they can buy pre-blended concoctions she's developed over the years for things like improved cognition, detoxification, and relaxation. I love that little shop, but there's so much more to Kirsten and her business. Here we talk about plants and tea, sure, but you definitely don't want to miss Kirsten debunking myths about the difference between tea and coffee drinkers. Okay, here's Kirsten Sherritt. It's, I'm sure you get Kristen all the time. Yeah, various versions of K names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a, an American doll named Kirsten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you have that one? No. <laughs> I love asking which American doll people had, if they had them. I was a Samantha girl. It was my jam. Um, okay, so Kirsten, share it. It's so lovely to have you on. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time because you are a master tea. I mean, I can't think of anybody around here who knows tea the way you do. Your business, The Secret Garden, has been going for so long, back to the OG location on Garden Street. Um, how did you get started in even interested in tea? So my answer to that usually is tea got into me, yep. um, which is really true. But I would say that originally I did get a gift of a herb book in my first year of college, mm. and it was Earl Mendel's Herb Bible. Mm. And... Um, I was, of course, a freshman in college, and I was struggling with a lot of things that freshman students struggle with as far as keeping your immune system up and being exposed to all kinds of different things, living in the dorm situation. And um, I really experimented with herbs the first time um, in just general um, maintenance of Mm -hmm. my health, like just immunity and Um, So that book was really fun, and I blew through it a thousand times and um, always found something new and interesting about it. And effective, it sounds like. I mean, you wouldn't have stuck with it if it wasn't working. Yes, and in fact, because I had struggled so much with the um, kind of clinic on campus and all of the standard ways of handling um, those things that come up as a college student... Um, that I really did, was seeking something that would actually work. Mm-hmm. And I remember my first herb that I used was powder arco. And Wait, what is that? I'm very, very ignorant, by the way. What is that? Powder arco is, it's a tree. It's an um, inner bark uh-huh. of a tree that grows in the rainforest. And it is awesome for immune system support, lung uh, vitality, uh, it's an antifungal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first one that I got loose leaf and I got a tincture of it. And I, and it turned the corner for me with, I kind of had like a long struggle with a bronchial thing going yeah. on. Yes. Um, and so that was pretty amazing to me. Yeah. And I was super interested in it. Um, but it wasn't until I graduated college and decided to stick around San Luis Obispo for a little while and got a job at the Natural Foods Co-op, mm-hmm. managing the herb department. Liz, sponsor of the Consume <laughs> Podcast. We just love those guys. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was life-changing. And um, in between all of my tasks that my manager gave me, I would I would find myself back at the herb department tending. And, um, and that's when I think herbs got into me because... Um, just working with them. Yeah, on you have daily, access to them now. Yeah, and there were descriptions on the jars, and there was, um, I mean, just the, all the the essence, uh, the whole thing, just filling jars, smelling the herbs as you fill them, and being with the different um, forms of the plant, root, seed, bark, leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was just an endless, um, yeah, kind of utopia of herbs it was amazing and so and then I also learned a lot of how to um, organize a business of it because that's the cool thing about the co-op too is you could participate on the board and Mm -hmm. be involved in the business part of it um, which was really amazing that is amazing yeah that's how I got into herbs enough to um, have the confidence to open um, my own shop yeah and what year was it that you opened I opened in the summer of 2004. 
Can you believe that? <laughs> no, I really can't. 2023. I mean, that is just insane. I know. Almost 20 years. I've I've been through three decades, my 20s, 30s, and 40s as an herbalist tea lady and this community. <laughs> the the uh, <laughs> official name. Yes. <laughs> the herbalist tea lady. Yeah. And I would have never, ever imagined that for myself, but um, I couldn't be more grateful for it. Totally. And we're lucky for it. I mean, there are a lot of communities that couldn't perhaps support that, you know, support a business like that. And I want to be really clear for anyone listening that it's not just a tea shop. You have a lot, it's, it's kind of like an iceberg, I think. Am I right? Like what we see downtown in the shop is the tip of it, but there's a lot of other stuff going on underneath. Yes, absolutely. And, and actually when I opened it, I mean, I opened an herb shop mm-hmm. and I was like, I am having, I have an herb shop yeah. and what ended up happening because I guess I had a little bit of an idealistic, um, idea of how many herbalists were around at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd be this great resource, um, in addition to all the other great resources that were in town. And, uh, there just wasn't that many herbalists coming to resource herbs in so, 2004. Yeah. Yes. And so, and that's definitely changed in the last couple of years, which is amazing mm. to see. Um, but what it ended up doing was creating a tea lady out of me because, um, people would come into the shop and I would blend on the spot something custom for them. And so my whole collection became all of these varieties of custom blends for the different people in the community, which is, you know, they, they were sort of like modeled off of real life experience. They're modeled off the times. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was this real, um, I guess you could say even ethnobotanical um, thing happening because Mm -hmm. it was, you know, herbalism created around what the community needed. And, um, and so that became the tea collection. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) since I'm kind of, um, that's my favorite way to um, apply herbs. It's my modality. I think it's so beautiful. Herbalism is so vast and Mm -hmm. it can be, um, you know, uh, medicinal herbs can be used for remedies of all kinds. Mm-hmm. For me, um, tea just hit it. I don't know. It was just my thing. And so, um, yeah, then the collection was developed over many years, which almost 20, almost ni- mm-hmm. 19 this summer. Yeah. Um, when you say that it's your favorite modality, you mean steeping something mm-hmm. in hot water? Yes. I think mm-hmm. the application of, of, herbs the way that I like to use them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I use tinctures and I use salves and I use oils and, oils and all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, the real magic of creating with herbs is a tea focused yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. I love that you do that kind of bespoke on the spot blending for people and the ethnobotanical side of it. That is so interesting. I had not thought of that, that it's sort of like, um, you, you've developed this record of what San Luis Obispo needs in 2023, you know, and over the past 19 years, what the needs have been and how you've addressed them to a population that's obviously open and, and asking for it. Um, I, I knew you. So I don't know if you remember, I worked at Boo Boo's for a time yes. and I can't remember, maybe you were dating somebody that was working there or something, but you would come into the shop and those were in the days when the people who worked at Linnea's and Open Air and the Palm and, you know, there was this little collective of people that would hang out. But when I got pregnant in 2010, I was two weeks overdue with my son and he was already about nine pounds and the doctors were concerned and they wanted to induce. And I just really didn't want to go through that because a lot of the time when you induce labor, it winds up in a C-section. And I just wanted to see if I could do it vaginally and not have to do a C-section. And um, I came in, it was actually Mother's Day. We were really wow. crossing our fingers that we'd have a baby on mother's day. It did not happen. But the cool thing is we actually went by your shop. We took a walk downtown again, trying to induce labor and, um, we just went in and we're poking around and you were talking to somebody else, a customer. 
and I was kind of eavesdropping and they were asking you for something specific and I don't remember what it was, but they wanted something and you were pulling together this concoction and my husband, I think I'm pretty sure it was him. He's like, you should ask her how to get this baby moving. And so I did, I said, Hey, I am extremely overdue with my baby. He's getting really big and I need to have labor start now. And you threw something together and it was called, um, like the Corbin come out. Tea. No way. <laughs> we knew what, Oh he my would, gosh. How fun. We knew what his name, isn't that crazy? And then you just saw him, that yes. giant person that walked I through. I love it. Isn't that funny? It is funny. So I, the Corbin really... come out to you, like you wrote it on the side and, and he was born the next day. Oh my gosh. I yeah. love that. And I love that we named it specifically for you and yep. for your son. Um, because I really, uh, that's one little thing about the teas. I love the intention of naming them. Mm. I feel like it really activates uh, the <laughs> tea. <did> that time. <laughs> and so that's so great to hear that story. It's really fun. Yes. Yeah. And so I knew, I, I think the naming actually is what made me remember it so much because it was so personal and so awesome. Um, and I do have to give credit to an old friend of the family brought by that same day a loaf of banana bread that has been fabled to bring many children into the world because um, it was just, we were so stagnant. And uh, I had that bread that day with your tea. So who knows? Tea and banana bread and a good walk around town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, So you mentioned, you know, being immunosuppressed when you went to college I'm wondering, well, and first of all, who hasn't? I mean, gosh, how many times do you get sick when you're a freshman in college? It's just like relentless. Um, But I wonder, so did you grow up in a home that cared about herbal uh, remedies? That is a great question because I really do credit, um, I do credit my mom for being very health focused and not necessarily herbal focused. Um, but again, those nutritional Bibles, she, I grew up with the vitamin Bible and I was, uh, um, pretty interested in reading in my spare time, the encyclopedias of different nutrients. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, that that really did set a foundation because I did then pursue, um, a nutrition degree. I was going to ask, okay. Um, which was really interesting and fabulous. And I did not finish in (laughs) nutrition. I had three classes to go. (laughs) And I discovered at that time that it was a little more institutional than what I was really after. And I got a lot of what I wanted out of um, minor classes, which was the community nutrition minor World food politics and... Community nutrition is a minor? Yes, it was at the time. Um, well, I think it does kind of draw more on the um, ethnobotanical kind of uh, leanings of medicine and health, mm-hmm. and it's kind of about nutrition and culture. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I found that that was more interesting, and I got to take interesting humanities courses, po- political science courses, and that really kind of sparked me more than, sure. um, and it was a lot of science going through the nutrition major and, and, um, I did kind of at one point, um, have the, the moment where I mm. had to change directions and I ended up actually graduating with a poetry portfolio in <gasps> literature. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's wonderful. So I have, um, this combination of, uh, I think it's kind of a mystic combination, more yeah. a mystic approach to, Uh, health and wellness and yeah and in service to not only yourself of course but to the community I am so proud of Polly for having a community nutrition uh, you know uh, something that you can focus on a concentration yes that's amazing fascinating classes yeah uh, to choose from with that yeah and it makes so much sense with what you're doing now and hooray for your mom for um you know maybe she didn't teach you about herbalism specifically, but you saw modeled by her the willingness to read, educate herself, you know, look for, um, look for solutions for what 
Yeah, what ails basic you? nutrition. I mm-hmm. mean, that is foundational. And I think it is foundational with herbs, even too. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of based on nutrients. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the nutrients that you unlock through whatever steeping. Yes, I love that word, unlock. That. It's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, there was a shop. So the Secret Garden used to be behind. What was it at the time? Raingrass and then Rain Garden Grass. Street Essentials. Yes. Essential oil yes. focused business, which is amazing too. Was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at now. At the time, people weren't talking about essential oils exactly. like they are now. Absolutely. Yeah. Way and, before all of the yeah. big time businesses now. Raingrass. I, like, I just haven't even thought about that in so long. But that little space was so sweet. And I don't think it had, maybe it had been a patio or something at one time, but you transformed it into one of those, you know, secret spots that is, um, just wonderful. The spot you have now also a secret spot, but more accessible. Like people walk past it and exactly. so there's more foot traffic. Yeah. Whereas the other one was really tucked away. It was totally a miracle to have survived for five years there. I can't even believe it when I think back. <gasps> five years. I mean, yeah. there's no really no there was no way to do any sign on the street. Mm-hmm. It was just totally happened chance for people Mm -hmm. to walk down that alley or hear about it. I mean, it was so truly magical for people to find me doing that back there. Five years alone in a small business owned by, I think, just yourself, right? Yeah, I started with a partner. Okay. And then we split it a year and a half, um, kind of seeing that it was a small business. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, that's hard enough. What would you say has been, what's been the trick or what's the special sauce for keeping you in business this long? That's such an exciting question to yeah. me. <laughs> I'm excited to hear it. I mean, I really, I really love to think about that. And I do think about that a lot. Um, I do think about it in the context of, of course, the community mm-hmm. and for what I do and how I do it, the herb shop, tea shop, I think one of the special things that is sort of unique and um, gives it longevity is the way that we weigh everything out by the ounce. Really? Yeah. I didn't we, expect you to say that. What is, what's special about that? I think that it guarantees a certain standard and quality and potency. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I work hard, um, I think, on the a lot of levels as far as um, the regulations and stuff that are, need to be in place in, it, or in order to just weigh mm-hmm. um, tea from a jar into a bag. Yeah. It's different than packing at a facility, heat mm-hmm. sealing it and selling it. At, from a store. Mm. So it's, it's a food service. Um, mm. and so I work really hard to maintain that. And I, I would never, um, sacrifice that. I would never want to, because I really believe in the life force of the loose leaf experience that's way on demand. And, you know, it kind of goes back to, um, back in the day when you would get all of your, you know, if you go to the deli or if you, mm-hmm. you know, you go to your farm fresh, you, you know, source farm your stands. ingredients. Yeah. yeah. And you, you go and you get things fresh for the, maybe the short time you're going to use them. Or mm-hmm. if you blow through them, you can buy them in bulk. But I do think that that's a magic thing that is not very accessible, mm-hmm. um, really anywhere. Yeah, it's no, very it, difficult yes. to do, um, business successfully in that way. Um, I think so. I think that's one magical thing because the tea has a quality that's almost um, unmatchable. Can I reflect back to you just so I make sure I understand what you're saying? Mm-hmm. So you think that because you do it by the ounce, it allows you, and I like what you said about it being a food service. And mm-hmm. I have more questions about that, but um, the fact that you are doing it at smaller quantities is allowing the quality to be higher. Is that, am I understanding that right? Yeah, I think it translates in that way too, because, um, 
as you said, the, the business, the iceberg thing, yeah. you know, we do have a, also a warehouse and blending facility. Yeah. Um, and we do all of our blending there. Um, but we do blend in small batches. So mm-hmm. we're talking maybe two to six pounds of each blend at a time, sourcing fresh ingredients. I mean, I don't know where this came from as far as my ability to juggle an enormous inventory and Mm -hmm. just know where it's at for 20 years. It's totally, (laughs) I have no idea how that happened. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I credit the co-op with learning all that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) the truth is, is I can turn things over and I know when I'm getting, you know, I just know um, when to get new stuff and I do it in small amounts Mm -hmm. and it's, it's fresh and it's, the life force and the potency is just amazing. Yeah, and but I think I understand. I, as you're explaining that, I actually think I, so I didn't understand it correctly, even though that may be true. You're saying for the consumer to have the, access to buy the ounce rather than yes, buy bulk. Yes, yes, because okay. you don't find that very often. It's not something that is valued much in a larger grocery market no, of course. Um, context, you know, because their bottom line isn't, it doesn't excite them usually. Mm-hmm. Um but I find it to be one of the most beautiful, exciting, and ancient yeah. trades, the tea and spice trade, um, yeah, ever, yeah, ever. And so yeah. I do think that that is part of the magic, and I think that people, um, it's interesting the way that it, when people walk into the secret garden, of course, the garden has its own I don't even know what it's just got this amazing it's energy. Lovely. Yes, it's got a, its own vortex. Yeah. It's just so <laughs> it. disarming and friendly yeah. and it's it's lovely and, and it exists outside. I mean, I don't yes. think you realize until you go in there that it really is an open air experience there, yes. which I'm sure has its challenges, but but it's yes. lovely. Yes, and I think I think the experience part of it mm-hmm. is definitely something that um has kept it going all these years, but, um, yeah, I think that, um, overall, I think every town should have an herb shop, Mm -hmm. tea Mm -hmm. shop in this way. I think that, um, I used to have, well, I still have, I have a fantasy of, um, herb shops being as important as liquor stores, like every corner, you know, and that we, um, kind of normalize that in the culture Mm -hmm. and self-healing in that way becomes natural part of daily lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I I think that when people do discover the secret garden or um, oftentimes somebody will be an ambassador to the secret garden and bring their friends and family and share it. um, I think that it, it's almost like a remembrance Mm -hmm. of just human DNA or something, because there's something, there's no demographic. I feel like it's for everybody. It's Mm -hmm. the people's shop. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no, um, one type of person that's a tea drinker or an herb user. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that when people do find it, they're like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. And, um, and then that's that. And Mm -hmm. so I've had people like you who have known and and come by since day one and people who find it and are instantly uh, like, yeah, this needs to be a part of my life. Yes. So I think that is definitely what has kept it going. Okay. I mean, I can totally see that. I love that you say it that way, that it's accessible in small quantities so that you can, yeah, it really is. It's an apothecary. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, we whenever we've gone to Europe and seen ancient apothecaries, it's it's there's something about getting into those little drawers. I mean, we all love miniature things, right? Yes, <laughs> For whatever reason. Yes. But it's almost like a card catalog, the way you pull those drawers out and the way ancient societies and civilizations have leaned on that person who has the skill set and a gift for blending things that come from the earth for people for, I mean, I, I like to think of it also as it's not just remedying things, but also, I mean, if you 
were feeling really celebratory and you wanted to celebrate with something, you could, you know, ask for something that supports that joy um, or a milestone or, I don't know, I like to think of it that way. And now the Corbin Come Out tea, of course, is a tea that's a celebration, although it's definitely 12 years later, um, (laughs) pretty stale. (laughs) But it's come with us, you know, everywhere we've moved. Are you kidding? You still have your Corbin come out? Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. we do. We we often do wedding favors and Mm -hmm. uh, things to kind of commemorate people's milestone events. Yeah. And I do believe that tea's, of course, I might be biased, but I do think that tea is a wonderful way to do it Mm -hmm. um, because almost the consciousness of all of your loved ones in each of their cups of tea, thinking about the intention or the celebration, um, it stays alive and connected. And Mm -hmm. that's what a tea time is really all about. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I'm very suddenly self-conscious of the tea bag I have sitting in my <laughs> mug right now. I, from Trader Joe's, and it's like, how did I not think this through? I really should have. How did I not bring a big pot of tea, oh, whatever. honestly? Whatever. I just am like, oh, Jamie. Okay. Um, you have so much more than, like we said, like uh, you have so much more than the shop itself. So when did you get... when? When was the moment that you were like, you know what, I need more space, I need a warehouse? How did you get to that point? There's been quite a few evolutions, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, in the Secret Garden. I I did actually in 2014 open a tea bar in Avila Beach. Oh. Not sure if you knew about that. I didn't. What was it called? Secret Garden Tea Bar. I had no idea. Where was it? It was right there, a block from the ocean. Um, on, jeez, I can't even remember front, not front street. Pier, that's the, maybe. Um, right now I think it's Libertine, the corner spot. Oh, yes. And exactly. Heart's exactly. Desire, the yeah. soap shop was there for a while. Yep. Um, so I did that for a couple of years thinking, wow. you know, having these ideas about, um, what else could I do? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it turned out that was fun. Um, yeah. but it it wasn't, turns out I don't want to serve tea. I want <laughs> I to blend want to tea. Blend it. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to pack it in packages and let people do their own tea times. Yeah. Um, and so after that, um, it, it was, though, really nice to have a bigger space to work in. Mm-hmm. And so I went from the tea bar to the blending facility. Okay. And so that's where... Um, I created that. And then from there, um, working with some other people in the tea business locally, Mm. um, I was able to really see the potential of what could happen out of a facility like that. So I do a lot of custom blending for other beverage products Mm. now. People Mm. um, come to me for that. I do blending for um, like a white label uh, teas for other brands mm-hmm. and I do supply other small tea companies nationwide um, out of that facility and so that really did grow um, I guess the below the surface iceberg yeah. in a big way yeah yeah um when you so are you almost like an importer for uh, sourcing for other um, tea? Companies, or is it more you're actually doing the blending and, and developing recipes for them? Uh, I'd say both. Okay. Both. There's some local businesses that I do supply um, be, just because they know that I'm going to have it and yeah. they're, you know, making their products. And it's, it is really, um, I think I heard you talk about this on another podcast. I mean, it really is nice to join forces when mm-hmm. it comes to sourcing things and, um, and if, especially if you have a standard like organic certified organic yeah. or things like that, help one another, get yes, that stuff, yes, share the cost. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, I do, I do source some things for local makers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mostly if other tea companies are sourcing from me, it's because they specifically want, um, 
my blends and, and that. Yeah. And then the other thing that's kind of cool, because I do have quite a list now of local cafes and restaurants yeah. where, that serve our tea. And I think the bonus for that, again, is the freshness because mm-hmm. I am, you know, um, getting new supply sometimes twice a week, just turning wow. it over, it's going out, turning it over, it's going out. And so it's all really fresh and we pack everything on demand, demand including all of the cafe and restaurant stuff, yeah. blending it on demand. You know, it's mm-hmm. not sitting there waiting for someone to want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do that. And um, I think the bonus for those cafes and restaurants is that um, I do the juggling of multiple sourcing. Yeah. So I might be sourcing from 12 different places and I can give them the variety of that mm-hmm. through my, you know, one stop. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, there's some fun, you know, interesting, different little offshoots. I feel of, like I saw, I feel like I saw, do you ever do tea bags for people? I can't remember, but I feel like I was at a hotel that had maybe a secret garden. Maybe it was just a um, like an already hot teapot with the blend in there, but it said that it was from you. Do you know, so do you have like a hotel accounts and things where you... Um, I don't know. Honestly, sometimes it surprised me because people will, um, not know of our wholesale program and just buy our tea retail. That may have been what they did. And then they, um, offer it at their establishment, but, Mm. um, that may be it. Or there, it's been many years and I have had a lot of different companies come and go and, Mm. um, but I've, I don't bat, I don't bag teas myself. I didn't didn't think I've thought about those, those things. And it's just, I mean, it's so labor intensive. It's already Mm. super labor intensive, just blending and packing on demand and stuff. So, packing there's some really great machines that do that (laughs) in the thousands yeah that can that yeah we could never really imagine doing it by hand I mean if that would just be so labor intensive Yeah. yeah yeah well do you have any um loose leaf people often have their reasons for not using a bag can you tell me a little bit about that and I don't mean to put words in your mouth but what are your thoughts about tea bags my thoughts about tea bags are, I mean, they, of course, the first one is just the, um, s- you know, sacrificing the freshness of mm. a loose leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's difference in cut. Um, and so usually tea bag cut botanicals are very small, um, yeah. tiny little cuts, which mm-hmm. tend to oxidize faster and, oh, go, and course, you know. Yeah. And so you do lose um, flavor and potency in that way, but also not sure if you've seen in the in the recent years there's been studies on all the microplastics that are found in these tea bags yeah. that you're steeping mm. in hot water, which becomes really bioavailable. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you know, there's there's I think uh, more clean. Mm-hmm. tea brands and then there's ones that are still using those and so there's there's always that consideration um as far as tea bags go um but I think yeah I think that's yeah that's probably great answer totally so how do you generally how do you prepare your own at home so I use a little ceramic teapot mm-hmm. with a set inside strainer yeah and that is kind of my daily thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done, I've made tea in so many different ways and uh, kind of love every which way. Mm-hmm. I don't really like tea balls. Yeah. Well, I just, all I think of is them bursting open constantly. Right. I can't think metal of a time I metal. was successful. Yeah. yeah and hard not to open a good, close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just have these great little, I mean, they're so efficient. I have, I, I sell them in the shop. They're 24 ounce ceramic teapots with mm-hmm. a little set in strainer. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're perfect for one person or two people. Mm-hmm. So you can tea time with somebody else. They're, um, really easy on the budget and mm-hmm. they're they pour nicely so I've been through so many different um tea vessels and the pouring the spout 
I mean, you can dribble tea all over the place and not me. in your cup. Before we started <laughs> yeah. recording, you saw me spill water everywhere. Yes. You know, there's some really beautiful uh, teapots out there that yeah. do not function <laughs> properly. And I, I just can't do those. Yeah. You know? You got to, well, like, yeah, you got to be able to pour it. That yeah, seems pretty basic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that is pretty basic. And then, I mean, I do like, uh, you know, if I want to do something strong, a, a decoction of mm-hmm. root and seed and bark, uh, I'll do that on the stovetop, loose in a, you know, pot. Yeah. And just kind of low simmer that and then strain, strain it, it afterwards. Yeah. So there's that style. The, um, I just had press pot tea last yeah. night. So like in a, a coffee press yeah, pot. Yeah. Um, and that's lovely because it's usually a glass mm-hmm. container and you can see the leaves and flowers and mm-hmm. and it's always fun to watch uh those rehydrate and True. come alive and you know kind those of do pots that. are so pretty if you think i mean they become so utilitarian for those of us who drink coffee right. do you drink coffee too i do and i'm so glad you asked this because <laughs> i want to bust the myth <laughs> the people don't drink coffee <laughs> i yes i'm busting the myth because it's so funny in the store people will come in with their tea loving partners, friends, loved ones. And, and I'll say like, well, are you a tea drinker? Oh no, no, I do coffee. Yeah. It's like this one or the other. Yes. And I, and I love saying like, um, let me liberate you in this (laughs) lifetime. You are allowed to drink both. Yeah. You can be a coffee and a tea drinker. Like, I agree. You know, like, News flash, and it's like really interesting how I don't know where that it came could, from, you know, yeah. where it's like either or. And I get it, you want your, you know, maybe caffeinated beverage of choice in the morning, that's yeah. that's fine. Yeah. But tea, I mean, you could do your nutritive tonics during the day, you do your yeah. sedative, relaxing ones at Tea's night. On. Yep. Tea right. is just any time, and so is coffee too. I mean, I would, I, it almost feels like it's. Something between um, American culture and English, there's this rebellion or something. But the funny thing is, a ton of English people drink both. You right. know, yes. they really do. And uh, and some of the black teas have caffeine enough to really give you coffee a run for its money. So anyway, yeah, I completely agree. You can do both. You can do both. But I love that you do both because <laughs> I did a story on tea a few years ago and there was a really it's funny it's like tea people sometimes have a real chip on their shoulder about <laughs> the fact that they don't drink coffee or like uh, the tea is better or whatever really noticed that um like a loyalty tea loyalty yes and kind of yes. this evangelism of like oh no I don't drink coffee or I don't drink tea mm. um in our home my husband does not drink coffee but he loves tea and he always did you know the black, he would do English, Scottish breakfast, Earl Grey, um, Yorkshire gold, one of my favorites. Uh, but he has gotten into having a nighttime, um, you know, herbal with, you know, mint or um, chamomile, a really beautiful blend. And it's become, it's become a little ritual for us. And it's cool to see, you know, a development of something he really likes now. We're doing it out of tea bags, and I feel so bad that I'm giving us both cancer doing that. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I said it. You didn't. Um, but I think I need to come down to the shop and get something that's perfect for keeping on hand and that we do. And I'll get one of those pots, too, to make it Yeah, it's simpler. it's so nice when you have a variety, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I really don't have anything against tea bags either. Yeah. Ultimately, when I go to friends' houses, I love looking at whatever tea if if you have tea <laughs> it's all good i i love yeah. checking out people's collection and you know what they're drawn to and when they when they like to drink tea and yeah. um i think like i said though i mean it's really not that accessible mm. um there's not a whole lot of secret gardens around no. so um loose leaf stuff isn't really that easy to mm-hmm. get your hands on um, there are some things here and there, but yeah, I think, I think a routine or like a ceremonial tea time, whenever, especially in the evening, I'm seeing mm-hmm. our, uh, 
culture, our community, all my customers and stuff, I, I see it becoming more important mm-hmm. and more worked into the values mm-hmm. um, of, of people's lifestyle um, and that they really do notice um, that they that they kind of lean on tea mm-hmm. for that comfort, um, the downshift, the mm-hmm. tummy soothing, mm-hmm. the transition, you know, from instead of, you know, right at happy hour, cocktail hour, that, yeah. you know, when the sun goes down, um, there's transition times during the day where mm-hmm. a pot of tea can kind of... Like marks it. Yeah, can yeah. take you through and, yeah... I want, I want you on my shoulder all through the day, like Jimmy. It's transition time. <laughs> that would be so luxurious. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. My tea actually. advisor. Yeah, and I, you know, as you talk, I think uh, almost of like tea therapy in a lot of ways of the way that you're giving people something for themselves. And I know you educate people on what's going into it and where it comes from. And speaking of where it comes from, I mean, how did you start sourcing it? Where does, where do a lot of these things come from for you in the business? So I source from distributors Mm -hmm. that usually import from countries, I mean, worldwide. Yeah. Um, Obviously there's certain areas that are really abundant in certain types of herbs and then in certain types of teas. And, um, so, but because I started the shop with a standard of certified organic and I like to hold to that, I do let these distributors do most of that footwork because they, they have the proper equipment to run tests and to be able to guarantee it's this certificate of analysis and do all of that. That's really not something I'm interested in getting into in the, in the business. Um, so I basically juggle these distributors and I kind of try this and that, and it's definitely become tricky in the last couple of years. Cause I, I do like to, I have a, you know, my own standard of what I want my blends to look like. Yeah. And so in this last, um, supply chain, fiasco over the last few years you know I'd get a big giant orange peel cut or you know my Mm. cut the cuts of herbs are different or Mm -hmm. things you know we get what we we get (laughs) you get what you get and you don't throw it yeah Yeah, right yeah and so that's been really interesting because I've actually had to modify my recipes for certain Mm -hmm. things even just the cut of a botanical that I'm working with can change you know obviously if if a cut is a lot smaller, you're going to get a lot more of that material in your tea. So I've, I've really done the dance all over the place of, um, changing my recipes and Mm -hmm. testing things out and then changing again when we get our other cut back and right. Yeah. Just to kind of maintain, Mm -hmm. um, some kind of standard of, yeah, our Mm -hmm. collection. Uh Yeah. Have you, um, when you say in the past couple of years, do you also refer to, uh, I know that in a lot of like in the nutraceutical space um, and in the vitamin space and supplements, people are complaining often about um, receiving things that have fillers or they've been, uh, I know that a lot of fillers come from India, China, and people who are sourcing from places that there isn't a lot of control from the FDA over, um, you know, the way the FDA can control the way we grow things and treat them and package them, but not from places outside the U.S. Has that impacted you at all? I would. Without, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like no, that, but I'm curious. No, that's a good question. I would say no because I deal with raw material. Yeah. And I think as soon as you start processing something into anything Powder that you can't see what it was originally, yeah. um, that's where you might run that risk. But because, you know, my chamomile may vary in the size of the flower bud um, in that way, but it's not, um, it's only chamomile in there, mm-hmm. you know. And then that's also the beauty of having trusted sources that do all of their own quality control um, before they, you know, prove anything to totally be shipped out. Yeah. Yeah. You, that's absolutely, you're so right about being able to see the raw thing and knowing the difference, I you know, know you yeah. as your, as your own 
expert, you know, expertise, you know. It's what I love about tea as well as and and that modality. Yeah. Um, because it really puts you so close to the plant and the the spirit of the plant and that you are um, ingesting something that you can tell is natural mm-hmm. <laughs> and from the earth, you know, it's, yeah. it's nice in that way. Yeah. Oh gosh, you're reminding me of my husband and I spent six months living in Italy and we went around to different, um, homes. We were working on organic farms. And so we'd spend maybe a week here, two weeks here, all over, all over the boot. And we stayed in Spoleto, Umbria, for, I think, two weeks. And the family there, I mean, so many people in the old world, I mean, the old world, like most places are the old world. Um, But in Italy, we found so many people that this was passed down through generations, this leaning on herbs and plants, especially for Tizan. And so we went to this one house that... um, the man, his name was um, Alfonso, and he taught Jake, my husband. They went around all over, I mean, so many acres, beautiful, beautiful, wild things, picking, talking, drying, packaging, bringing it home for our friends and family. It's the terroir of that tea, you know, the place Amazing. that it's coming from is so special. I don't know if our family members actually used it ever, but we did, and it's just... It's something you can do for yourself too. And I'm sure you would encourage people to do that, you know, with a trusted guide. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, truly, I, I've always kind of said and believe everybody is an herbalist because Mm. anybody can grow an herb garden. I mean, you have beautiful rosemary out here that's flowering. So much of it. As I walked up, I mean, rosemary's, you know, it's, you can use that for so many things. And so you have a a very potent medicinal herb right here, welcoming every person that walks into your house. And they walk past it. Like my purse, when I walk past it, it rubs on it. And it just, the, the aroma when people walk in, it's all rosemary all the time. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was, um, what was COVID like for you in terms of your clientele? Did people, were people asking for immunity um, kinds of thing? What were they asking for? So COVID um, was interesting because certain herbs definitely trended. Yeah. And I found it fascinating. Tell I me really which ones did. did. Um, so echinacea, yes, echinacea, uh-huh. licorice root. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Um, I think what I found most interesting about that time period was that whole vision that I had starting the business, where I was going to be this resource for all these individual herbs, and I and I do, I I have hundreds of jars of individual mm-hmm. herbs that I sell by the ounce that, um, you know, not many people were, were sourcing in that way, the individual ones. Yeah. But when that, you know, 2020 hit, we all went through that immediately. My jars were empty, empty, empty. I mean, oh one word. after the other and really random out of the blue. I mean, I was boasting about my inventory mastery earlier. <laughs> I had no mastery because there people were wanting all sorts of different things. Yeah. And I think that they were really digging into, um, you know, natural remedies in general, mm-hmm. of course, herbalism. And they were probably, I mean, they were, they were really coming up with whatever, um, they did their research on that they mm-hmm. felt um, was the way to go. And so, yeah, I'd say echinacea, licorice were pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I mean, the, the bronchial stuff, yes. mullein, um, and I'm trying to think of any kind of strange out of yeah. the blue ones. The fact that you were empty on so many, I kind of figured it was that way. Yeah. Well, look, and we didn't know what we didn't know. Exactly. I mean, I, I know to a degree that's still very much true, but yes. um, 
yeah, we were all, uh, you know, hunting and pecking for something that would help. And I think we found several things. We just didn't really know what we were facing. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that people were leaning on you. Yeah, it was interesting. And I, right when the news of all that broke, um, I sat down and wrote, I don't know, maybe 10 kind of bullet points of, cause I knew people were going to be oh, yes. diving into herbalism and I was concerned because mm-hmm. it's not uh, simple, you know, it's powerful stuff. And so I was thinking like, how do I support people who are coming new to herbalism mm-hmm. to not overdo it or because we do have this tendency to um, maybe, yeah, just to, you know, we want to fight the pathogen yeah. or, you know, go all in. And um, whereas if some is good, more is yes, better. Yes, yes, it's that whole yeah. um, philosophy. But I think, um, so I was really, when people were coming in, if there were herbs that were unusual or they were things that I would use in really small amounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think wormwood was one oh, of these. Yes. People oh, gosh, got into, <laughs> yes, people got into that. I think yeah. studying it for various things. Um, yeah. The yeah. viruses and stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, and you just don't, I mean, there's some things that, you know, you tread lightly with or use in combination with other things or only use for a certain amount of time and to really know how to use those things. There's tonic herbs that you can use daily to build the system. Mm -hmm. There's um, antiviral, antibacterial herbs that you use for short time to actually move through, Mm -hmm. um, you know, illness. And so, yeah, I think that that was one of my concerns with that because it, the jars were emptying left and right. And I was kind of hoping that everybody would not go into it with like a chaos mm-hmm. or fear. Like scarcity yeah. Mentality. You know, yeah. and just be, and, and more approach it, which I do think maybe the time and space and solitude and that kind of thing help people slow down enough to mm-hmm. maybe tune into that, um, a little bit better, but, yeah, I was kind of hoping, like, oh, I hope this becomes something that is um, sustainable. Love that word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then rather than um, you misused, you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, gosh, and it's it's valuable to have the person who is providing the herbs be knowledgeable in that. Which again, that apothecary mentality, rather than. You know, you can go into, I'm not trying to knock the bulk bins or anything, but you can go into so many shops that have bulk herbs or, or online, you know, Amazon, whatever, and you can get these things and not even mentioning quality that is available. You don't have someone who's teaching you along the way, um, about how to use them. So yeah, you're a valuable resource and asset. Um, so well, I just, I mean, if, if the listener isn't inspired to, to get into tea, I mean, I don't know what could be more exciting than to talk to you about, well, your business also, it's just phenomenal, um, because it started so small and like I say, many communities could not support or would not support a business like yours for 20 years and, we have, and you've done a great job of navigating the different kinds of ways you wanted to keep it going. Um, I'm very sad I missed that tea bar. I think that <laughs> that could be incredible. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on. And I want to ask, so let's say it's your last day on earth. And because you're into tea, I want to know what the blend would be for that. But also what would you eat and who would be there? Oh, oh my goodness. I know because so much of what I think what you do for tea, blending it for others is about how it will impact them into the future. So I'm curious what you would do if it was like, you know, a punctuation on, on the life. Mm. I, well, I think of my mom, mm-hmm. if my, you know, if I could only have one more cup of tea and I'd probably like to have a cup of tea with my mom. Mm. And I think that it would be, and the first thing that popped to my mind was, 
something with rose petals. Mm. Um, I think um, I love the combination of rose petals and maybe a little orange peel. Or Mm. um, what would I do? Um, I do like rose petals and white tea. I can't believe I'm even saying this because I'm. Mm. It's not what I drink every day. Well, no, but but I guess on the the, on the last day, I would drink rose white tea with a little hint of citrus Mm -hmm. with my mother, hopefully or ideally staring out at the vast ocean Mm. and the, you know, sun twinkling on the ocean. That would be, that would be my moment. That's a good way to go. (laughs) Do you have any food that you would like? Food. Oh my goodness. Um, You'd shock the hell out of me if you were like a big T-bone steak. Really? (laughs) It's funny. I'm actually pretty, I'm pretty simple. Like the first thing that popped to my mind was just fresh strawberries. Oh, that sounds amazing. Whenever my mind goes clear and I think of um, like a, yeah, ideal taste, flavor, Mm -hmm. experience, I think of strawberries. Yeah. Yeah, a real eating for pleasure right. moment. Yeah. yeah, everything about it. I love it. Kirsten, you're so lovely and um, helpful and obviously very smart and savvy with this business, and we appreciate you being here and for you for coming and talking. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. That's a wrap for this episode of Consumed. Thanks so much to Chris Lambert, who edits the podcast, and to you for listening. If you want more info about Consumed or any of my guests, visit letsgetconsumed.com. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.